Acts 23, we saw that over 40 men had conspired to not eat or drink until they had killed Paul. But the commander found out about it and with soldiers safely sent him to Caesarea. And there's a lot to learn from all this. Here's Pastor David. When God tells you something, you know what's going to happen, but that doesn't mean that you don't have to use wisdom and plan well as you're walking through those things that God has for you. So just because Paul knows that the Lord is going to make sure that he makes it to Rome doesn't mean that Paul shouldn't do all the things on Paul's side to wisely get there, like foiling a conspiracy of people to murder him, right? We know, for instance, that God grows the church, right? That over time, that it's the Lord who will bring people into this body to come to know him and to grow in him. We know that that's his work. So does that mean that myself and, and the other, and, and all of you and all of us as we're, as we're working through this, that we just sit around and wait for the church to grow? No. We don't do that, right? We invite people. We advertise. We do whatever. Not, not because we think that it's our power that makes the thing happen. We believe that it's the promise of God that he will continue to grow his church and make it strong. But we have a duty, our own thing that we're supposed to do, not because it's in our power that it happens, but because we've got to be faithful to wisely do our part. We, we know that, okay? No one is here today, no one is listening online or watching a video of this, of this message that God did not determine to be in that spot at that time because he wants you to hear it or he wants you to be here, okay? But you might be here because someone invited you, right? God was going to have you here one way or the other, yet we've, we're supposed to do our part. We're supposed to do our part, Okay? We know that God will take care of us. We know that that's a promise of his, but that doesn't mean that we go take all our money and throw it in the toilet because God's going to take care of us anyway, right? No, we wisely use our money. We wisely do our part, even though we know that it's God who's in power and God who's going to make sure that we're taken care of. We know that all things will work together for good. We just read that. That doesn't mean that we don't care what we do and we're negligent, reckless about our actions because, hey, in the end, God's going to work it all out. No, we wisely do our part. Okay, here's another one. God will forgive your sins. God will forgive your sins. That's a promise. 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That doesn't mean that we don't care what we do or how we act. That doesn't mean that we presume upon the grace of God because we know we'll be forgiven. That's not love. That's not treating Jesus as Lord of our lives. We can't go on sinning or, oh, well, we'll do this one. God will forgive me later. It's okay. He's going to forgive me for anything. I can do whatever I want. Grace, grace, grace. Okay? Because grace is guaranteed. Okay? First John 1, 9 is absolutely true. God will forgive you. It's guaranteed. But grace was not free. It might be free to you. It might be a free gift to you, but it wasn't free to God. We must not trample on the work that Jesus did on the cross by treating grace like it was cheap. He had to die to save us from our sins. His promise of forgiveness is not a license to sin. When God promises, God performs. There's no doubt about that. Okay, But we also wisely do our part, wisely do our part to walk in the provision of his promises. This is what Paul is doing here. He could have sat back and done nothing and known that these guys weren't going to be able to kill him. 
so let's see what happens. But he didn't. He didn't. He didn't say, I'm going to be okay. God promised me I'm going to be in Rome. No. He cared about others. He wisely did his part to keep this conspiracy from happening because he wisely walked in the promises of God. He didn't just sit back and wait for them to happen. We need to be careful not to do that either. I wonder how long, by the way, these guys waited before they ate and drank again. Or if they just starved to death. I don't know. I'm assuming that they probably ate and drank again when they realized they're not getting to Paul. And by the way, they don't get to him. They never, these particular guys never get to Paul. They just are hungry. So um, let's talk a little bit more about these guys, these 40, more than 40 men that had conspired to murder Paul. First of all, how did they justify what they were doing? Paul was preaching Jesus and, and scandalizing the traditions and institutions that they had in their mind about what life should look like. And they were zealous, zealous for their traditions. And assumedly, they convinced themselves that what God wanted was for Paul to be dead, right? That they were acting for God. But how, how did they convince themselves that they were acting for God? I mean, remember, these men were conspiring and getting the council to lie and going to commit murder, Right? someone who had not been convicted of anything. They were going to murder him. They were going to lie in wait and murder Paul and get the leaders of their people to lie and do all this stuff. How did they convince themselves that's what God wanted? These guys are so zealous for the law, right? That's their thing. They're so zealous for the law, and yet in order to be zealous for the law, they were going to completely break some of the most serious rules in the law so that they could be zealous for the law. Do you see how backwards that gets? And here's the thing that that happens to a lot of people a lot of times. It's called the ends justifying the means. These guys figured that the ends justify the means. They figured, hey, God wants Paul dead. Of course he does, because Paul's not like us. He's not, he's not making us feel good about our own pride and our own traditions and whatever, so God probably wants him dead. So God would be okay with lying and conspiring and murdering and lying in wait and all that kind of stuff, um, as long as it meant that Paul was dead at the end of it. They convince themselves of this. Now, how often do we do this? How often do we convince ourselves that God would approve of our ends, and therefore we use sinful means to get to these ends that we think God would want us to get to? How many people have cheated on a test or kept their money in their pocket instead of helping out that neighbor, that person in need, or tithing, or whatever it was, uh, because, oh, I cheated on the test because I know God wants me to graduate from high school, or pass this class, or graduate from college, or you know, I kept the money because I know God wants my family to go on a vacation, or here's, here's one that's really, really rough. God would want me to be happy, and that's kind of the catch-all. Any sin, any horrible thing you want to do, you're going to go cheat on your spouse, you're going to go do whatever, because I'm unhappy, and God would want me to be happy. And so, you know, which is insane because there's nothing in the Bible that says that any sin is okay as long as the end result is that the person is happy. That's not there. That's nonsense. And yet I hear this type of thing. This type of thing happens. Well, yeah, it may be against the Bible. It may be wrong. It may be evil. It may be whatever. But I know that God wouldn't want me to be in this situation or not have this thing or whatever it is because I know that God wants me to be happy. Not that way he doesn't. Not that way he doesn't. The ends do not justify the means. There's a whole lot to think about there, okay? But, we, but, but here's the point. We have to do what's right. We have to do what's right and trust God to take care of the rest. That's certainly not what these guys were doing. These guys were saying, no, God wants Paul dead, so we'll go violate all the laws of God to make it happen because God apparently isn't capable of taking care of it himself. Here's another thing about these guys who are against Paul. Uh, they had way more in common with him than they were thinking or giving credit to. 
Listen to what Paul says about himself in the third chapter of Philippians. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks they may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul is a Jew's Jew, a Hebrew's Hebrew. He's one of them. He's one of them. He's more like these men than they understood he was Jewish. He was a Pharisee. He understood the Hebrew scriptures. He was zealous about the Hebrew law, but somehow he had become other to them. The only real difference is Paul's proclamation of Jesus Christ as the Messiah and that Paul believed that God through Jesus Christ wanted to save both Jews and Gentiles. That was the only real difference. And these guys, because of their, their zeal for their traditions and their institutions and this national pride, this, this affected them so much that Paul, although almost just like them in every way, had become, somehow become one of those people, somebody else. So much so that they were willing to kill him. That's how far it got. This guy who came from the same place, would have been in the same neighborhoods, going to the same synagogues, all of these things had become so other to them that he was those people and so much so that eventually they were so hard towards him in their heart that they were willing to kill him because he threatened what they thought was the way things should be, their traditions, their institutions. Not stuff that was of God, obviously, or they wouldn't be lying and murdering, but their own traditions, their own institutions. Now, now here's what I would ask you, us, us to think about. Who are those people in our lives? Who are those people? Because those people, by the way, are the people that you separate yourself from in some way, Okay. In some way, you separate yourself from them. You may not admit that you look down on them, but if you're honest, maybe we do, right? Maybe we do. And are, are, they, are, the people, are they people that don't look like you or that don't act like you or maybe people who disagree with your politics or people from other countries that don't have the same kind of traditions as you? Oh, when you talk and think about people who are from, who are in these categories, different than you in some way, do you have the mind of Christ towards them? Do you think about them and treat them well? Do you think about this question, are they my neighbor? Are they my neighbor? Because if they're my neighbor, I'm to love them as myself. You guys probably remember the story of the Good Samaritan. And we're going to read out of Luke here, chapter 10. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. Of course, it's got to be a lawyer, right? Um, these guys are rough. Even back then, it's that old. Um, stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 
Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Now, you've got to understand something about this story. The Samaritans were those people. I mean, big time. The Jews could not stand the Samaritans. They could not stand. They despised the Samaritans. The only people that despised more than the Samaritans were Gentiles. Okay? They despised Samaritans. So Jesus doesn't pick this accidentally. This lawyer wanted to think that loving his neighbor as himself meant his actual neighbor. And that was probably narrowly defined to be the person who acts, looks, thinks just like him. That's his neighbor. He can love that person as himself. Probably not. But at least he can handle the idea of loving that person himself. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm going to flip this upside down in you. These people that you despise, these people that you've made those people, these people that you've made other, that's the person you're supposed to love as yourself. That's who I'm talking about when I say love your neighbor as yourself. Now, do we believe that we couldn't go just like these other men did to Paul and get so lost in our own pride and our own love for our own institutions and traditions that we could create groups of those people and that somewhere down the end of that road, we could be just like these guys. I don't know. I don't know. I see... I see the possibility. I don't think that these guys started this totally evil, horrible people. I think they got lost more and more and more in the other people and the those people type of world. I see our culture trying to create those kinds of divisions and tribal divisions between people. And, I, and we've seen in history how bad things can get when that happens. And people who thought that they were Christians who were following the Lord have become so twisted that they were no better than these guys who wanted to kill Paul. And so let me ask you a couple questions. Who do you have more in common with? Think about this. Your unbeliever next door neighbor who lives next door to you here in the USA or the believer in Iraq or Pakistan? Who do you have more in common with? Your unbeliever biological sister or your sister in Christ who was brought to the United States as a child as an undocumented immigrant? Who do you have more in common with? Your unbeliever favorite singer or actor or your brother and sister in Christ in China who has to secretly gather with other believers so they don't get arrested when they worship God? Your unbeliever hunting buddy or your believer brother or sister in Christ who became convinced in their own conscience that they should vote for a bit different political candidate than you? That so easily becomes those people now listen, I'm not mentioning these people to say that unbelievers are other. That's not my point at all. My point is that even believers, even people who are believers who you should be the very closest to, who you should care the most about, 
can even fall into the category of other of those people if you're not careful. If they happen to come from a certain country or they happen to rub against a certain political ideology or whatever that we hold, even believers who we're primarily responsible to can become those people. The truth is that for a believer, for a Christ follower, there's no such thing as those people. Those people don't exist. Those people don't exist. The minute you start down that road, you've gotten off base. The leaders of the Jews, you remember from a couple weeks ago, had a hissy fit. As soon as Paul mentioned the Gentiles, right, they freaked out because to them, of course, the Gentiles were those people. To them, almost everybody had become those people except for themselves. They couldn't even get along with each other, as you remember from last week. And this had gotten so bad that they were willing to conspire and lie and murder Paul. The way to avoid becoming like these men is to make sure that we are not labeling and rejecting people because they happen to be different than us or they come from a different tribe or they're not exactly like us or it's politically expedient to label people a certain way. We've got to be careful. And if you don't see the connection between having those people, whatever they are, and you just have to be honest with yourself about who that is, if you don't see the connection between having that happen in your mind and, and eventually down that road somewhere becoming just like these 40-plus men, then you're missing something. Because it didn't happen like that. It happened over time. It happened over time. Is your heart breaking for the persecuted church around the world? Is your heart breaking for the oppressed, the poor, the heartbroken here in our city? Or are they those people who we don't worry about? You know, I'm going to mention Rich and Ollie. Every week, they put on their prayer request card prayer requests for so many people. They have all these people. First of all, they're super popular because they're awesome. And so they have lots of friends. But they're also super popular because they care enough about their friends to literally, we, we, we and staff and, and the people who are praying, we're praying for all these people, who, many of whom I've never met, because Rich and Ollie think about and pray about these people. What, what do our prayer lists look like? Because the easiest way to have those people is to think so much about me and so little about everybody else that, that I'm, I'm locked in. I'm locked into self. But if we're out, what, is our, what do our prayer lists look like? What are, what are, we, are we pouring ourselves out day, night, midday, like David was to the Lord? Are we passionate about seeing unbelievers saved and believers growing in Christ? Are we passionate about meeting the needs of people who need us? Or have we created the, sort of the our tribe and their tribe mentality? And it's relatively innocent at first. But in the end, it looks like what we read today. Do we care about these people? And, and whatever answer you gave in your mind when I said you care about these people, let me ask you, if other people who were outside were looking at your life, would they agree with whatever answer you gave to that question? If you said, yes, I definitely care a lot about unbelievers, about the poor, about the lost, would other people who knew you and were looking at your life say, yes, I agree with that? They do care about that? That's what their life looks like? Just something to think about. We're Christ followers. There's no those people. We have to be the ones showing compassion and care for the poor, for the stranger, for the outcast, for those who other people are calling those people. Those are the people that we're supposed to be loving. 
And we have to constantly check ourselves because anything else will lead to the kind of pride that led these 40-plus men to become murderers in their hearts. So zealous that they were willing to kill Paul just because he wanted to share the good news of Jesus with those people. Now, I'm not saying that every single person Every single Christ follower needs to go and sell everything they have and go help the, the persecuted church in China. Or even the person who's, who's suffering here. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's the call for everybody, but listen, can we pray five minutes longer a day? Can we give $5 more? Can we take five extra minutes and analyze and assess our own prejudices and our pride when we come to decisions on where we stand on political issues? Can we think five minutes longer before posting on Facebook? Ask Jesus to rock you, to change you, and to make you see the world as he does. For all of its glory in him, and for all of its need that he will meet, be asking him to meet that need through you. There are no others, there are no those people, there are only men, women, and children made in the image and likeness of God who need a savior. That's the only people that exist. So if there's anything in your heart against any person, whether it's an individual, whether it's a group, whatever it is, if you're saying, well, those people do what, those people do whatever, those, those words are there, you need to get rid of them now. Because the only people that exist are people made in the image and likeness of God who need a Savior. Period. Love your enemies. Pray for your neighbors. Serve your brothers and sisters. I'm not saying to move one inch from the clear commands of Scripture on morality and the commands that, uh, that Christ has given us and following him and all those kinds of things. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying to do any of that. There are people who do things that are wrong, and it's okay to say these particular people have done things that are wrong, right? That's okay. But when you make them those people, you do something different, and, and everyone knows what it's like. Everybody needs Jesus. And all I'm asking is that we ask Jesus to help us see our prejudices and to learn to love all who he loves. Lots to think about, and it's important that we do. And if you have questions or we can help you in any way to put Jesus and his heart first in your life, call us at 360-885-9000. Or even better, Come see us at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington, this Sunday morning. Easy directions and all the info you need are just a click away at axechurchnw.org. Well, that's all our time for today. Thanks for listening. I do hope to see you this Sunday and again for our next episode here on Contemplate. Contemplate.